0: This is Mission Work Optional, sponsored by True Wealth and Company. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to secure your family's investment legacy, create a work-optional lifestyle, accomplish all items on your bucket list, and ensure your money outlives you. This podcast will self-destruct in 30 minutes. And now, here's this week's mission with your host, Brian Sarf, of True Wealth and Company.
1: Welcome to Mission Work Optional. I'm Brian Sarf. With me every week is Brian Paulson. We're here every Tuesday at 5 a.m., and we hope you are too. You can find the Mission Work Optional podcast on iTunes, Anchor.fm, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed the interview last week that Jason Girl, and I did, just talking about our philosophy and things, and some of it may have been new to, to some of you, and some of it may be a refresher as well, and so I hope you enjoyed that, that little piece. I do that monthly with Jason Normally I interview somebody else here in Kansas City, but uh, last week we wanted to have one that he interviewed me, so that was the piece. But I don't think anybody heard it because it was on 980 KMBZ at four o'clock Saturday. Well, we had a Chiefs game at 3:35, so nobody was on KNBZ listening, you know, listening to me <laughs> yap away out there. But I know we emailed it out to everybody. You can click it and listen to it. But when it was broadcast live on Saturday, there wasn't a soul in Kansas City listening to KNBZ.
2: Uh, I can attest to that. I wasn't, that's for sure. Something no, I wasn't either. Yeah, I know. So first podcast of 2019. That's us. Awesome.
1: Well, this is the third. We had a podcast, right, that we aired well, at the beginning right, of the year. Well, that's right, And then we had the, the the rebroadcast, and now here, so.
2: The first one we're recording live in 2019. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so
1: it's been fun. And what, what, a, what a great year for trading, a good year for our strategy, I think that a lot of the things that we talk about of investing along with risk that I know I had some doubters out there in the world and our clients when they were looking at what the market was doing in August and what their accounts were doing in August, that we weren't aggressive, that we weren't trying to chase the internet and the technology stocks and everything that they were were driving in the market. When I looked in September, it was about 80%, 85% of the return for the year came from seven stocks. And if you pulled those seven away, you pretty much were flat for the year. And then... The bottom fell out, and all of those, you know, what goes up must come down. There's, remember, no matter how good a sector or a stock is, there's always a rubber band attached to it with the market. And when they take off, like the FANG stocks did in through August, that rubber band was fully stretched. And a lot of those saw a 20, 30, 40, 50% pullback that overall moved the market pretty significantly from really the top being about October 1st through December. And I think a lot of our strategy was to. To stay away from those, to not chase those. Because risk was on, we wanted to keep risk off on the table. Now, when things started to fall in in December, we licked our lips and got excited to start buying in piece by piece. We still don't have everything, and we're still very defensive. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to invest more in, but I need more confidence for the market. I still think risk is on. But we look at it allocating by risk, not just to put it all in all the time like because we should put it in.
2: Well, in in a market where seven stocks are driving the market, that automatically gets the hairs in the back of your neck standing up. But when it's seven stocks in the exact same sector. Yes. That's what was really crazy. Mm
1: -hmm. It was all internet, all finance. It was amazing. It's your FANG stocks, the Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, Microsoft, Google contingent. Some of those are, I mean, those are phenomenal companies. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't buy all of them not a big fan of Facebook not telling you to sell it or buy it if you're listening but just not a big fan of it for where it's at now they've just had too many reports where their statistics and the numbers they're sharing that are actually happening are wrong and they're having to change you know saying that you know the average listener's you know looking at a at an advertisement let's say for 22 seconds on average when really they're only on it for 3 seconds and the number of people that were looking at ads was was misstated it was much much lower than what they had had said and their stock got beat up for a lot of those, mm-hmm. those items. And, and I think they'll clear it up. There's certainly a lot of money to be made in advertising through Facebook and certainly through Google. Apple's got a phenomenal product. Amazon's incredible. Netflix has a, has a really cool service that's there. And I think all in their own right, will continue to make some money in the marketplace. And are they at big discounts today that are, that are huge value? I don't know that I would say huge value, but they certainly are way off their highs. Will they all get back to it? I don't know. This is going to be a fun year. Because we're seeing a lot of money rotate out of growth, to more to value, more to defensive, more to not those types of companies.
2: Started seeing that back in June. Really yeah. starting to see the move. I think one thing that was really interesting about when when we analyzed the different sectors of the S&P 500, it, it was amazing in that June to, to August timeframe when staples, the things that you and I use... Doesn't matter what happens to the market, we're going to buy it.
1: But toothpaste, toilet paper, and absolutely, you know, paper towels and, and dish soap and and Folgers coffee
2: got down to seven percent of the value of the S and P 500, an all-time low.
1: It's the lowest percentage of staples forever, and. I mean, it certainly looks like a great buy, and we owned it for a good part of the year and made some money on it. But, you know, it's been losing as well lately. Mm -hmm. Just because there's a massive broad sell-off happening now. And, you know, this began in the beginning with just a few stocks, and then it turned to a a more broader sell-off. You know, but when I look forward, I know that there's a huge wall of worry that everybody talks about, but I refuse to play whack-a-mole with a pessimist. Because you can take all day long if you get in front of a pessimist. They can always find somehow, some way that they extrapolate some number that is going to ruin the world and everything's going to go to crap and the next apocalypse du jour is going to going to going to come up and it's going to devastate everything. Well, I can tell you what, we've been having all those arguments. I mean, since, you know, since humans have been on this earth and we'll continue to have those things on this earth. You know, we've said many times that, you know, the market drops like an elevator and goes up like an escalator. And, you know, when my dad was born, you know, the Dow was around 600. Today it's around 26,000. Pretty good track record, but that's with all the crap in between. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the end of World War II. That's Vietnam. That's Russia saying they're not going to pay their bonds anymore. That's the dot com crisis. That's Black Monday. That's the financial crisis. That's every other th- contagion you can think of in that time frame, from the Korean conflict and you know the oil embargo and the Iranian hostages. And we made it through Nixon and Carter and and Clinton and Obama and and Reagan and Bush and Bush. And now we're making it through Trump and. All the ups and downs, all the this and that, the market just continues to rock and roll its way because we have more people spending more money, making more money, making more profits, driving the marketplace, and I know that you will have another bear market They're as common as dirt that they continue to drive through. I take all this with a grain of salt that's out there, and if you're really scared of it, of what's going on, you need to read less in the newspaper, you need to watch TV less and and not read as much crap on the internet because it's coming through... And it's ridiculous what, what what I see that's that's not reflecting the reality of what's going on in the
2: marketplace. And we talk about it all the time. The mm-hmm. news makes money off of telling, telling you stories that are designed to scare you. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. How many years has it been, what's it been, five, six years now that we've been hearing the news tell us that this this bull run was going to end? No. And if you had pulled that no, out? No, further back. Is it further back than that? They started. So – I could
1: bore you with the headlines. Maybe one of these shows will do a headline show. Yep, Apocalypse your show. That, that, uh, that there, has been, there have been two people that every year put out an article. One, I believe, is with Newsweek and I think the other, I forget where the other one's at. But they publish multiple times throughout the year, starting in 2010, that the market was going to crash. And then in 2011, and then in 2012. And then in 2013, and then in 2014, and then in 2015, tell me when you get bored. 16, 17, 18, they continue. Eventually, they'll be right.
2: And it'll be the first time. And then they'll I be- I told you. I
1: know. And then they'll write a book about it, and they'll be heralded that they've been saying that. But if I claim something every year for nine years in a row, eventually, I'm going to get it right. So far, they've been wrong every time, no matter what it is they th- they threw out there. I mean, today, it's you know Trump's nuts for the shutdown. Why do we have to have this wall- why are we fighting with China on trade, on deficits? You know he's a loose cannon. All of this debt that we have is going to just take us down. Well, I, I, let me start with. Uh, I'll just start with the debt piece of it. That if you think about it logically, okay, when the when the media reports that we're at record debt levels, that would only be a bad thing if profits weren't going up and income were, incomes weren't going up, but. In the 200 years that we founded the United States of America, people are making more money every year, they're making more profit every year, and they're buying more things which is going to drive up debt. And so we should continue to hear for the rest of our lives that we're at a record debt level.
2: But what's the, the interesting part about the comment when they make it is it's a fact. We're at an all-time debt dollar level, mm-hmm. and that's, that's the scariest story. But when you look at it as a percent, it's amazing that it's right in line. It's consistent because of inflation, because of everything else. It's, but that's not a sexy story to sell on the news.
1: No, we're always going to be at a higher debt level. We sure. have to be. Uh, we'll so. always hit the debt ceiling. The, the Congress has set it up to have this showdown because they have to raise the debt ceiling every year because inflation goes up. If inflation goes up by 3% and it's not in the budget, then somebody has to go through and vote that, we ha- that things are more expensive and we mm-hmm. have to pay more. And you know, do they have frivolous things they spend money on in the government? Absolutely, they always do. People do as humans. We wanna think that the, that the government and, and individuals are like Spock, that they're gonna make the perfect, unemotional, exactly right decision. When in reality, everybody out there is like Homer Simpson. Everybody drinks too much. Everybody doesn't get enough sleep. You spend too much time on your phone. You don't say, I love you enough. You work too long. You eat too much. You don't exercise enough. You complain. You gossip. You don't go to church when you should. Can I go down the list of all the crap that we do? But that's because we're human. And human beings run the government, human beings run everything. And the government isn't Spock, it's people. And they're like Homer. And they have fears as well. And right now, none of them are getting paid for the most part. And so are they going to be making great decisions in D.C. when nobody's getting a paycheck? No. You know, We've doubled the absentee rate at the airports. And if you're flying, you're frustrated. But it doesn't mean with these higher debt levels and those things that it's a bad thing. It just is what it is. And you have to look at it in relation and in context to everything else in the marketplace. And when you look at it in context, it's absolutely completely fine where it
2: is. Mm-hmm. And it's just the words you choose to say. The when, day, and instead of percents, they talk in dollars.
1: The day they close the, the Philadelphia
2: and the Denver Mint, and we can <laughs> no longer
1: print dollars, I will become immensely concerned about our debt level. And that's exactly why Great Britain is leaving the Euro, mm-hmm. the European Union, because they cannot print their own money. It's all based on the currency coming out of Brussels, and they can't control their own economy. Imagine the United States, that we only have a fixed amount of dollars in the U.S. to do what we do, and we have to go to Canada or go to Mexico to get more money printed. And they say, no, we're not going to do it. We're going to hold where it is. Well, that's going to screw up inflation, wages, income, everything. And that's where they're at in in the EU. And, you know, they all bought into it. They all said, let's do it. But now the U.K. is going to Brexit and get out, and they're facing a lot of turmoil there now. But, you know, we Brexited from Brexit. Isn't that what the U.S. did with from Britain?
2: We were the original. And we yeah, said, to, hell, we're
1: out of here, boys. We're going to yeah. do it on our own. And we're going to come over here, and we've done a pretty good job running it. Now, they, they, wanna, they want their independence back. They don't want to be controlled by a foreign power that's telling them when they can and can't run their currency from some central bank. It doesn't work. And so they're going to have a lot of pain to get through that. But at the end of the day, we're not going to stop buying things from Britain. They've been a phenomenal ally of ours, and they'll figure it all out, but they're going to have to go through some pain to take on that ownership of not letting somebody else dictate their economy. And right now, we have the Denver and the Philadelphia Mint, and we decide what we want to print, what we want to do, how many dollars we want to put out there in the marketplace. And we run our own thing, and the world is denominated in dollars. And God bless America, because that helps us control and run our economy so much more. And it's why I don't really have a big concern about government debt. Now, personal debt? Whole different subject. It's not even in the same ball, ballpark because none of you listening have a little printer in your basement that you can hammer out. I can't print a bunch of SARF dollars and you can't print a bunch of Paulson dollars to go buy some more stuff. If you do, they got
2: room over in Leavenworth for you. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and they will
1: come get you. The Secret Service right, police, is that. But we don't have printers in our basement. So personal debt is different. Corporate debt is different. Government debt is a whole different animal in a different planet, and it cannot be analyzed the same way as personal debt. Never can, never has, never will, until they shut down the Denver and the Philadelphia men. And it's what powers our wonderful economy, and it's why our interest rates are so low. And the world keeps buying our bonds at these record low levels. But if you look at the Bank of Japan's paying zero. Germany was paying negative interest rates earlier this year. Of course, they want the, our debt at one and a half, two, two and a half percent when they're getting nothing. Mm-hmm. It's a good, good piece for
2: them. Now we keep on here, and over over the holidays, we've probably heard a dozen times. This time it's different. Yes, people always afraid. They're trying to analyze: Is this one going to be like the uh, 2008 drop, where where housing gets hammered? And we started talking about how there's always pundits trying to assume where what's going to take down the economy. And the reality is, no one's been able to predict it so far. This time, it's not different. What have, you, what have you talked to people about from that standpoint?
1: You know, so Brian, when, when you look at bear markets, that we're not in a bear market, Mm-mm. this is a correction. Absolutely. That a bear market only happens during a recession. This is just a correction as we're going along through a bull market. It's not over. We're still growing. We may be in the late stages of it, but we're not going away. And so this time is not different yet. This is a normal correction that as an equity investor, if you can't ride out a 15% decline virtually every year and an average of twice that, perhaps one in five, then you simply cannot be an equity investor. We know that historically the markets work, just like I told you about my dad, 600 to 26,000. We know the historical return of equities over the long haul is in favor of our clients to grow. What's hard is the emotional decisions and changes we want to make along the way that are hard not to make. But that's why our clients pay us. Mm -hmm. That's why they hire us is to be that unemotional person between them and their money and to keep them from climbing to the crow's nest and jumping off the ship into the ocean saying, this time it's different, I want to get out of here. I know no other way for clients to achieve their long-term financial goals than to do it through the markets. Can you do it with bonds? Can you do it with CDs? Yeah, but it takes a hell of a lot longer. You just it takes don't get a lot get, of money too. Well, you just don't get the return in those things. And so the best value that we provide is to be a coach during these time frames. And this is an abnormal time frame because we've had such little volatility the last three years, meaning the up and down movement of the market. Volatility we tend to only think is negative, but it really is up and down. We've had very little volatility in the market. It's pretty much just gone up for three years. And we're getting back to normal
2: volatility. I think that's the key. We aren't even there yet. No. We're getting back. We're approaching normal volatility.
1: And it seems really abnormal and it seems really scary because you haven't experienced it for the last three years because it hasn't been there. And so seeing that we're getting back to it and that it's becoming normal, remember the market loses about 15% every year. During the year, it loses 15% at some point in time, almost every year.
2: And this year happened this twice. Year it did. And that was almost it twice. It in was December. A,
1: it was a 10. And then we had like a 17. Mm-hmm. That always happens. And then one in five, you typically lose 20. And you have a recession and you pull back in the marketplace and off you run. Last one being in 08 and 09. So at this time is not different. This is absolutely completely normal and we should not be making any decisions of using a 48-hour news cycle to make a 30-year investment decision. We cannot run in that fashion to go make those changes just because we've had a little bit of uncertainty.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That is the big thing. It's normal. It is approaching normal. We have similar conversations with people that ask us when the, the interest rate is going to return to normal. What do you mean by normal? A lot of people are telling us 3%. That's not normal.
1: Well, a normal for a baby boomer is different than a normal for a Gen Xer, you and I, Mm -hmm. okay? And it's different for a millennial. Millennials have only known interest rates to be below 4%.
2: Yeah, but I'm talking about you and I both had people that Mm -hmm. are baby boomers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Asking us when it's going to return to normal being and I've I've qualified, and they said, well, 3%. Well, that's not normal.
1: Well, we get acclimated to it. sure. You know, and you forget your recency bias, that the things you see right now that you assume they're going to continue, normal rates for home loans have typically been around 8%. Mm -hmm. 8% today would be ridiculous in this economy. Mm -hmm. It it would freak people out, and you wouldn't see young 30-somethings moving into a neighborhood, buying into a $350,000 home if interest rates were 8%. they are only buying there... Because interest rates were in the threes. Yeah. And so because they're lower, their monthly payment would be the same, but they can buy a lot more house. And so it seems like that these – rich kids are buying out of their element, but it's really because interest rates are so low, they can buy into your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And that's driving up home values. That's just part of this amazing time frame we're in with interest rates as low as they are. And it's causing a lot of issues along the way. And at some point it'll unwind, but right now everything looks phenomenal. We should have one heck of a year this year with the economy, with, with where profits are, with where unemployment is, with where wages are going up.
2: You where know, we with, are with demographics. Demographics with, look solid.
1: Demographics are fantastic. There aren't the big things on the horizon that are going are gonna to rip this market apart. And I, I see phenomenal opportunity in front of us in multiple areas that I think that this year, 2019, should t- turn out to be a fantastic year for investors that have had the patience to walk through December, that stay committed to their long-term plan and stay invested. We'll reap the benefits over the long haul because we always do.
2: And nobody can project what's going to happen. We can look at it and see that things look like they should play out. The only thing we really can control is let's get your plan defined. What do you want to do with your family? What do you want to do with your occupation? What do you want to do recreationally? Understand why you're saving. Build the plan and run with it. Stick to it.
1: Yeah, it's the the patience of the long-term investor is wonderful because eventually the impatient investor will sell their shares, and the patient investor can buy them, and the money goes to the rightful owner. And you own those investments, and off you go. That's just that's how the markets work. Those with more patience win. Mm-hmm. As you run through it all, and you make smart, intelligent decisions based on, you know, your long-term plan and where you're at. And I think that as we look forward in 2019, I see a ton of opportunity. I realize I'm not stupid to the fact that there are issues in the marketplace and the world. I know there are, but if any of those, and I think a lot of those are already built in to where we're at, but if we get some of these things resolved, when we get a partial trade deal with China, when we finally can get some clarity on what the Federal Reserve is going to do when the shutdown ends, as we begin to see the impacts of you know, tax cuts, those are all positive, very positive for the economy. We forget that the tax cuts had an immediate effect last year. The long-term effect is that because of the tax cuts, we're no longer subsidizing the world. And what I mean by that is, if you live in Detroit, Michigan, corporations were paying about 40%, 42% in total taxes. State, federal, local, everything together, 42% for corporate. It was the highest corporate tax rate in the world. Across the Great Lakes in Canada, they're paying 24%. So there was a huge incentive to to move your business and your plant and your investment over to Canada, when it's really easy to move across the border from Canada, you know, and to to come back over into Detroit. And and it ran a lot of, of businesses over there. We were subsidizing growth in Canada with a high tax rate in the U.S. Our tax rate was higher than Europe, was higher than Japan, China, everywhere. And so we were discouraging companies from building here and we were encouraging them to go elsewhere. What the Trump tax cuts did was it brought us very much in line with the world competitively, and we're no longer subsidizing them by penalizing our corporations for having business here. Now we're at a 25% tax rate for corporate versus 24 in Canada. Well, I'm not going to go anywhere for 1%. It might be 27% here, but you get my, my drift is that we're really close to the Canadian one, and that bridge to Canada just got a heck of a lot longer and you're not encouraged to go over there. What's happening is we're seeing, like Kubota, is gonna build a million square foot facility in Gardner that they're gonna build tractors. And they announced that it's coming. It's not gonna build overnight. They have to hire thousands of people to work out there and get it set up, but that's a a Korean company coming to the U.S. to build their tractors, and they're in a phenomenal corporate environment, and that's gonna be jobs for Americans because our tax rate's better, We have an unlimited source of energy, and we have a ton of people that want to work. Well, here comes the workload, and I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, we've all this offshoring. We're going to have our, our outsourcing. We're going to have a lot of insourcing over the next five to 10 years because everybody's coming here in our economy from around the world to build and sell to the American consumer because the tax structure is more favorable to them.
2: Well, and it's not just going to be American companies bringing the jobs back. To your point about Kubota, Kubota. K-U-B-O-T-A. Kubota, easy for you to say. K-U-B-O-T-A. The fact that Kubota, Kubota is bringing jobs back over here or is building a plant here, mm-hmm. that's nothing that went overseas. That's a company saying, well, now your tax bracket's reasonable enough that I want, I, I'm going to avoid the shipping costs. I'll build it right where my consumer is.
1: Well, it starts with BNSF having the big the big train depot facility. It's having phenomenal distribution in this part of the country. It's having a huge labor force. Um, it's having great highway systems. It's having a, a reasonable government structure. It has low tax rates. You combine all of that together and you get a great place to run a company and run a business. And we're gonna see, m- there's, there are thousands of those examples across the United States that will continue to show up in the S&P 500 with growing profits, with growing wages, we're going to see unemployment continue to go further than what it is. I think that we're just in for a fabulous 2019 and 2020. I know there are bad things on the horizon that I worry about, but I just don't see any of them rearing their ugly head that are going to take a bite out of all this. And there's too much positivity in the U.S., and we're attracting too much money here uh, for anything to derail this progress. And And we're going to still see phenomenal progress going forward, regardless of uh, right now of, uh, of, of what – Washington, D.C. does. We've empowered the entrepreneur and the business owner, and that will continue to empower America. And as, as investors, you should be phenomenally excited in this time frame because I think that there's there's just too much, too many good things for us to look forward to, and especially as we trade through the marketplace. From our experience the last few years and going forward, I think we're in for, for a good treat this year.
2: Yep. Consistency's king. If you've been saving, keep on saving. If you got an opportunity to save more, save more. Look at it right now that uh, that stocks are on sale. If you went to the grocery store and milk was 50% off, you'd probably start buying extra gallons. That's right.
1: Drink more milk, baby.
2: That's right. Get big Get and more strong.
1: Milk. Well, we appreciate you joining us uh, for this edition of Mission Work Optional and our outlook a, a bit on 2019 of where we're at and where we're headed to and some of our philosophy. So we, we thank you for listening to Mission Work Optional from True Wealth & Company. I'm your host, Brian Sarf. With me every week is
2: Brian Paulson.
1: The one and only... Uh, We'll be back next Tuesday morning at 5 a.m. Be sure to spread the word to your friends and family, and don't keep us a secret. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, connect with us on LinkedIn, and don't ever forget, invest wisely, save early, so you too can make work optional.
0: You've been listening to Mission Work Optional with True Wealth & Company. Visit us online at retirewithtrue.com or call us at 913-653-TRUE. That's 913-653-8783. All matters discussed during this program are for informational purposes only. This podcast in no way shall be construed as a solicitation to sell securities or advisory services to residents in any other state than Kansas or where otherwise permitted. Topics should be discussed with your individual advisor prior to implementation. Advisory and insurance services offered through True Wealth and Company, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of Kansas.